Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got Dalton Shaw, who is the founder or co-founder and CEO of OmniLife. Um, met Dalton, I don't know, probably about a year ago via an introduction of a listener um, and one of them grabbed him on the podcast and just with schedules of a founder, this is our first opportunity to do such. So um, OmniLife is a, it's a mobile health and information technology company. So what does that mean? Um, it's a really cool concept. In essence, um, it helps the transplant teams for patients, so human transplants, um, work better together. Um, so I didn't realize this, and many of y'all probably didn't either, but um, many um, many transplant teams communicate over cell phones with text messages, pictures, and other things. And Dalton realized this and thought there might be an opportunity for a mobile solution to allow doctors and their teams to share sensitive information um, better, um, with less errors, um, and in a faster manner. So how did he figure this out? You'll have to listen to today's podcast to learn that um, essentially Dalton had a transplant of his own um, after being in a motorcycle accident in college. And so we explore that with him today, what that was like, um, and then the birth of the company and how it's grown and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, um, you know, they're currently on a fundraise. They might even be closed by the time we release this. But all in all, really interesting story. Great medical-based um, startup right here in the Charlotte market. And really excited to let you all in on the podcast today with Dalton Shaw. So thanks again for listening to another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. So Dalton, welcome to the show. It's certainly um, certainly good to finally get you get you down here to Packer Place and yeah. on the podcast today. Yeah, sorry, it was uh, been we've been trying to do this for probably six months now, so it's good. Yeah, no, well, it's the um, it's the life of a startup. Guy, yes, right? yes, sir. So yeah. some, sometimes it's easy to plug in, and sometimes you're running all over the place. So, yep. um, so I usually start off the podcast. Um, I like to get you rolling fairly easily with the softball question. Mm-hmm. So if you can take just a couple minutes, because you're not from here, mm-hmm. um, if you can take a couple minutes and just tell the audience who is Dalton Jaw. Mm-hmm. So sure. a little bit of your a little bit of your background. Yeah, um, and it, I. Yep, and it doesn't ahead. have to be tied to the startup first, right? You can roll that Perfect. in if you want to. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm a corn-fed Iowa-born, um, southeast Iowa, small town, Oskaloosa, Iowa. Um, Just for reference, real quick, Dalton, you don't look corn fed. Yeah, I know. I've lost a lot of weight. We'll, we'll go into. They'll go into. Uh, you know, kind of my life story, but uh, definitely running lighter than I normally am. Yeah, now I. Uh, now I'm more of like the gluten free fed, you know, more of the millennial diet. Um, but uh, I uh, started. I guess my entire life was surrounded my a big part of my history is football okay uh uh football family when i was born i was blessed to the football gods my grandpa came out 
walked me to the 50-yard line of, a of our local football field and, and did a, you know, a, a ritual that he did with all the boys in the family. Um, intense football family. Okay. And we, uh, my entire high school career was focused on how do I get to Division One football and eventually the NFL. And um, I ended up going to Iowa, University of Iowa, and played football there for two years um, up until a near-fatal motorcycle accident. Okay. Um, and so I had a myriad of injuries, um, and one of them was a paralyzed right arm for about a year. And I ended up having a nerve transplant to regain functionality of my right arm, which was successful. And that started a lot of my, and piqued my interest in the med tech space, particularly in tissue. And through a series of events, ended up in organ transplantation and ended up creating what started as a project to help a family member of mine who's a transplant surgeon make his life and job easier to a company. And we can talk about that in the future. But um, came to Charlotte when my, I, I met my now fiance at uh, medical school at Iowa. And she, uh, we were, we probably dated about a year or two, her M3, M4 year, and then she matched in Charlotte. And it was kind of, she went to, I remember when she went on her uh, visit and interview to Charlotte, and she came back and said, I love it there, that's it. And I had never heard, I mean, I heard of Charlotte, but I had never been there. We yeah. had no family there. We had no connections there. Obviously, the orthopedic program at Iowa was, was really a good program. Um, you know, it would have been the very easy choice for her to put Iowa as her, as her primary, um, kind of her number one in terms of her match list. Um, but I told her, you know, I had gone on some of the rotations. I had like a couple that I was just like, absolutely not. They were really bad experiences and like in, in some other, I won't mention the names of the places, but... Um, you know, I said, other than that, I'm going to leave the decision up to you. And she, <clears throat> she chose Charlotte and, uh, and my uncle, it was kind of ironic. They find out she makes her decision, you know, in December time frame, And then you, you, you find out where you matched in March and in between December and March, uh, my uncle, who's a, a congenital heart, pediatric heart transplant surgeon. Um, well he does, he's a pediatric heart surgeon, okay. but a congenital heart surgeon, but he does pediatric heart transplant as well. Uh, and he was, uh, he came out to Charlotte, interviewed and accepted a job in between that time frame. So he kind of announced the family, hey, we're moving to Charlotte. And then Olivia's like, no way, that's where I, you know, hopefully I match there. And then, you know, we found out in March when she opened the letter, you know, in Iowa City, you know, they have a big match day celebration yeah, yeah. where all the medical students, you know, and, uh, and she started, you know, she opened a letter and it was Charlotte and she started jump, going crazy, jumping up and down. And so I said, oh, okay, well, we're going to Charlotte now. Yeah. So when was that? That was March 2018. 2018? Yeah. So you've been here for 18 months, give or take. Yeah. Almost. Well, yep. I guess, um, yeah. Um, so cool. So um, great story. What positions you play? Um, probably now almost 70, but close to 60 pounds ago, I played uh, I played outside linebacker. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, a fun position to play? Yeah. No, um, I... But yeah. the accident took it away. Yeah, um, you know, a childhood dream for sure was playing for the Hawkeyes. You know, I've always grew up a Hawkeye fan, so I wanted to go play for the Hawks and had the opportunity to kind of live that out and, you know, got there and realized it was a lot of work. You know, you'd sacrifice a lot for um, the game. And I, 
you know, had a lot of interest in, I was pre-med, I wanted to go to medical school. Yeah. I had interest in orthopedics, actually, sports medicine. I wanted to work with athletes. And, um, and I started seeing a lot of my friends get really cool internships, you know, over the summer and like work at all these cool, you know, corporations and businesses and, um, you know, uh, I was, and I missed out on all that cause of football. So then I, I started to kind of think about what I was sacrificing for football and started to kind of second guess myself. This was prior to the accident. But, you know, sunken, sunken cost fallacy, you know, I was all in, you know, and it was my identity. It was yeah. everything. My whole fi- family invested time and dollars to, to make sure that I could have the opportunity to play the Division One level. And um, I just felt like changing my mind would, would go against who I was, one, and who I, you know, who everybody thought I was, right? And and then my family, letting my family down, all that kind of stuff. So I stuck it out. It was really hard. Division One football is really hard, especially, um, you know, coming in as like a low-level recruit. You know, you're not a five-star athlete coming in. Um, it's hard. And, you know, it's cutthroat and you're trying to earn your spot. And, uh, yeah, no, but it was, it was, it was a blast. I learned a lot about the game. I learned uh, a lot. It made some of my best friends, you know, I was roommates with, um, for like a little bit stretch there. I was roommates with, uh, CJ Bethard and and George Kittle and a couple of the more popular names now. Yeah. And then they were always really good friends. You know, they were in my, that was my class at Iowa. Um, so, you know, we, uh, got our fannies kicked actually by Stanford, you know, the, (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. So <coughs> it happens. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. In the in the Rose Bowl, but you know it was it was a blast. Um, and, and I don't know we hadn't been there for a while. So anyway, but that was yeah. That, my class was the that that class, and McCaffrey ran all over us. He's he, who's here now. I haven't I still haven't met him yet. There's not very many Iowa guys playing for the Panthers. I mean at, at all actually. There's yeah. zero Iowa guys playing for the Panthers, but. Colin Cole is a guy that I, I used to play, and and uh, I reached out, and he's been receptive and um, stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, I wish there was more of my buddies that I played ball with at Iowa that were in at the Panthers. Maybe, maybe we can recruit Kittle yeah. here or something. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be good. <laughs> we we might be in need of a of a new tight end after this year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, um, so you, you have your accident. It kind of wipes you out yeah. from football, which. Um, there's probably easier ways to to reverse your decision than yeah. getting a, a near I, fatal motor motorcycle accident. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I tell people I'm pretty lucky because I think people have to go through that uh, kind of inner challenge themselves, where it was definitely physically hard, and, and well, it was hard, right, to go through an accident like that. Um, you know, I had uh, shattered the right side of my pelvis. I had a paralyzed arm. I had facial reconstruction. Uh, several brain bleeds. Um, it was not good. Uh, and, but at the same time, I, I feel like I was blessed because I had, I had been forced out and I don't know if I would have ever made that tough leap into something different or new hadn't I been forced. So in my, in, 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 I guess from my perspective, I had a lot of external factors that and environmental stimuli that really forced me to choose. Um, uh, well, actually, I didn't have a choice. I I had to do something different. I couldn't play football anymore. Yeah. Right? And 
And I think some people have to go through that internally um, with themselves, and I think that's a lot harder. Yeah. So in some ways, I think I had it. You got easy. it easy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not Accelerated. Many, yeah. Not, not many people would say that, given what you had to go through, yeah. right? Um, so, um, so that's after your sophomore year, you have the accident. Yep. So starting in your junior year, mm-hmm. you recognize that that's a path you can no longer go down. Yep. So you can throw yourself a little bit more towards the study side of yeah. things. Um, and when, um, when did the con, so the name of the company that your startup mm-hmm. that you've got, mm-hmm. um, the name of is Omni Life. Um, when did that start to come through yeah. you had to do your own transplant mm-hmm. um but when did that concept start to kind of bubble up so to speak yeah absolutely um there was a year kind of in between the company actually getting the project even the idea and the accident and in that year it was a year where it was pr- it was it was it was really hard mentally emotionally i went through depression and kind of lost my identity for a little bit, which is kind of a scary, weird thing um, where, where you're not sure who you are, who you want to be. But at the same time, it was incredibly empowering, right? Because I threw myself at everything. And I think what I learned from that is my calling was to be an artist. And an artist, and some people immediately think like drawing, and, and, and which I, I, I actually do charcoal art. And okay. so I did, a, I started like a little business where I was <laughs> drawing charcoal um, portraits. I learned from my dad. One time my dad drew a, a charcoal portrait for my mom uh, for an anniversary gift or something. And it was, it looked just, it looked like a photograph. And I was like, oh my God, you know, how did you do that? And so he, he started teaching me when I was young. Um, and it was something I picked up when I was in that kind of flux period of who I wanted to be. So I started a business that just was custom art for folks. I draw dogs and babies and kid portraits and, and all kinds of stuff. And I realized that that was uh, not scalable and something that I didn't really like drawing when I was drawing for other people. You know, I mean, it was good money, yeah. um, but it, it made it a lot more stressful. And it made it a job rather made it than a something job. you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did that for a little bit. Um, I started an, an, another company that was uh, around an idea. Uh, so then I started getting into, I, I loved Okoboji, my family. There's this lake, right? I love being on the water and being on a boat. And uh, my family had uh, this timeshare up in Okoboji, Iowa, where if you're from Iowa, it's like the paradise of Iowa. There is not a not super dirty mud bottom lake in the entire everything in the entire state you know is like that uh, it's mud, dirty gross you know filled with chemical runoff from all the farms like yeah. you know it's not a great lake except for okoboji which is this you know uh, awesome awesome little it's right on the border of minnesota and iowa okay it resembles more of a minnesota lake rock bottom a glacier glacier lake uh, really clear cold deep um and gorgeous and everybody from iowa goes to in Okoboji in the summertime that um, if, if you enjoy the, the, n- the nice lakes, I guess. Um, uh, so anyway, a lot of people go to Okoboji. And I was up there a lot, and there's these uh, boating pads that were, that were you know, have you ever seen those lily pads? Yeah. yeah okay. So there's a bunch of those, and I, and I, they're total, we had one, and they're a total pain to roll, roll up. Um, and so... I, I contacted a group that were selling them out of Iowa, Paradise Pads, and they were kind of a competitor to a lily pad, and um, that's the one that we had. And we started talking to them about some of the ideas. I 
uh, told them I had this grand idea, and for whatever, I don't know why they listened, but they did. And they, <laughs> sent, they sent me a lily. They actually sent me one of their Paradise Pads to mess with. And so me and my dad ended up making a, a device that incorporated the first roll into it. So it kind of looked like a toboggan. You know, it had the first roll in, and, and it was strong enough to that you could actually tug it behind the boat as kind of like a slowly, but you could tug it behind the boat, and it kind of made like a bunch of kids would jump on it you know and it'd be like a little raft right but it's it still had everything that you liked about lily pad and then it rolled up really nice and easy and put it on the back of your boat and so we made this little device and long story short that uh we, we still have it i think it still eventually could be a good idea they just were making so much money selling pieces of foam that they're like oh, we're not gonna even invest in you know manufacturing something like this we're selling so much of just yeah. literally square pieces of foam um, and so, you know, maybe that's something that gets revived, but that kind of then, you know, it's, so I had a couple of failures right away and I realized that what I really like to do going back to the artist thing is create things and I use different mediums, right? Those mediums could actually be charcoal in, in what you think of as traditional art, or it could be a group of people trying to do something really special, or it could be, you know, in this, in this sense of a business, or it could be, you know, something, um, uh, like a boating pad or, you know, like these different um, ideas that I've had. I got into cooking, right? It's very, a lot of things uh, around uh, art is, and, and creating things is very similar to cooking, and I, I really enjoyed that. I flipped some houses in college for a little bit. I got into real estate. You know, I tried everything, and, and, and what I was doing is creating. I like to create. And so when I embraced the fact that I took everything from an artist's perspective and to not be ashamed of that, but to really um, embrace that creative artistic side and to do a lot of different things and be totally okay with that, not having a clear, you know, like lane of this is who I am, this is what I do. Um, Because it was confusing to have all these different things, like who am I? And then I realized, well, I'm just an artist and creating in all these different areas, then that way able to kind of rope everything in for me and say, okay, that's who I am. Um, and so it, you know, through, through a series of events, you know, I take that creativity, that artistic kind of perspective into things I'm really passionate about. And, um, it just so happened I got blessed with, uh, just a series of fortunate events. I, I ended up going, I'd still continued the pre-med track all the way through college. I ended up going back and getting entrepreneurial certificate. Okay. I had a couple internships at Stryker and Intuitive, uh, the main, the DaVinci Robotics. And I really liked the intersection of med tech, um, healthcare, uh, you know, so technology, healthcare, and business. Um, and so, I started doing uh, an entrepreneurial certificate with the idea that I wanted to get into the med tech space. And I had a brachial plexus lesion that got diagnosed really late. And as a result, you know, I have about 15 to 20%, you know, atrophy in my deltoid that I'll never regain. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, that was part of the accident. Yep. Okay. And I was like, if you could identify brachial plexus injuries earlier, um, through different diagnostics, they, and, and so I created this idea for a computer system to take all the EMG data and physical test data and to create a 3d, uh, module of a brachial plexus to identify potential areas where it's injured and really be able to nail down with tests that they're already doing the severity of the injury so that you could determine, okay, we're going to wait because this might come back on its own, which is always best yeah. if the body can, the nerve can regenerate itself. Um, best chance of having a completely normal arm again. Uh, or we need to intervene and, and do it sooner because otherwise it, with a dead, uh, with a muscle that's not being innervated at all, it's just atrophy. It's just dying. And so the sooner that you can get it re-innervated, uh, the, soon, the less muscle mass that you'll lose, right? Um, and so I stood up and pitched this idea in an entrepreneurial class and this uh, 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 brilliant 
uh, his name was Eric Paul, now my co the co-founder of the of Omni Life, came up to me um, and said, "Do you have computer science background? You know, you're going to do this stuff with data and this, this thing." I said, "Absolutely not. You know, I have phys human physiology uh, background." He goes, "Okay, well, I I do, and uh, this sounds really cool. I want to help." So, um, and uh, so we started just kind of getting to know each other through that experience. And then around that same time, we braked for Christmas break. I went home and we were at my grandma's house and my uncle, who's now here in Charlotte, uh, was talking about, uh, well, I, I don't know if I was talking about that idea and how like there's a company that re recovered peripheral nerve tissue, you know, and they were, and so it got me into the tissue regeneration, tissue repurposing space as well when I was working on that project. And then that's when he said, okay, yeah, tissue is, you know, cool. And they do all that kind of stuff with tissue, but you know, you do, you do organs as well. And you know, I, I do those. And I said, what? I thought you were a heart surgeon. He goes, well, I am, but I, you know, I also do heart transplant. I said, oh my God, I had no idea. And so he starts, he starts to tell me about it. And it's just incredible. You know, when uh, there's a kid that needs a heart and there's a heart that comes up in, you know, and he worked in Seattle Children's. So one would come up in Northern California, he would fly an entire team out to go get the, the organ and fly it back to his patient and just the chaos of the and the organization of all that and he was talking about he went to uh, school at Michigan as well a Michigan alum and he was talking about the Michigan team that went out to go fly out a group of uh, doctors and surgeons went out to go get uh, procure an organ and they crashed and it killed everybody in the plane so it's incredibly dangerous especially when you're flying at odd hours you know people everybody's tired you know and so um, I just thought there could be a, a better way. He thought so too. He showed me, ha and then the, the thing that really was like, okay, well, we can do something about this was when he was telling me that all those logistics and co coordination and the information sharing between the teams, um, he was showing me all of it in iMessage, right? And and I said, wow, you know, and he had like Oregon pic pictures and offers and, and, you know, donor data and recipient data and logistic data all in iMessage. And I thought that was bizarre. And uh, he agreed, you know, that, you know, there's obviously security concerns, but also Gosh, at yeah. the same time, it's the easiest way. And when it's 4 a.m. in the morning and you've got to go, 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 you know, logging into an EMR or logging into, you know, the United States database, uh, UNET was something that their coordinators could do that were working at the hospital. But when you're running around or when you're in your bed at 4 a.m. or when you're at your son's baseball game and you get a call for an organ offer and you've got to look at stuff, a lot of times it makes sense to send it over text. And so that's when we started batting around ideas. I said, this is fascinating. I started learning more. And so I went back to Eric and I said, hey, hey, the Brachoplexus project is cool, but this is, I think this is really cool. You know, I think we can build a mobile app for my uncle, make his life easier. And he says that, you know, this seems super simple. Like we need a chat tool and maybe some other, other kind of, you know, like decision making, kind of be able to pull in data and like look at it. But I think this is really simple. Let's just build a mobile app. Let's give it to him, and he said he'll use it at his hospital, and he'll introduce it to a couple of his buddies. And let's and we are still in college, right? It's a good college project, and so um, we started the we started the the idea. And around that same time, Eric presented a lot of luck here, you know. And I think it's just about doing when you're super passionate, you just kind of decide to leap in and go for it, you know. I think I think things just kind of happen, you know. And I, I don't know exactly the. Some things are lucky, and sometimes luck is forced. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. In some ways, I felt, and since the beginning we started the company, I felt guided. We use the word guided in our company all the time, you know. And we've got this idea around Omni Life being something that's going to be successful, uh, undoubtedly. It's it's because it, it's it's 
it's a thing, like it's an entity, yes, in, in the sense of a business entity, but it is a living, breathing organism in and of itself. And it has become something bigger than any of us had ever thought it was going to be. It's become something grander. Um, it's become its own living, breathing organism that is on its trajectory to success. And all we have to do in the company is get out of its way yeah. and reduce friction by uh, you know, um, thinking, thinking a couple steps ahead, making sure that we can allow it to get to where it needs to go. And that's how we th- operate. Our entire business is not about, we're never operating or making decisions fear-based on whether or not, oh, it's going to fail or it's not. It's, it's inevitably going to be successful. What we have to do is find areas of friction and remove them so it can go faster. Um, so anyway, going back to... Uh, so... Yeah, go ahead. Um, Christmas yeah. break. Yeah. You're talking to your uncle. Yep. Christmas break 2000 and... Oh, man. Probably sorry. 16. Okay, so 16. Yeah. So this is a three... This is the... You're, we're moving into the fourth year of the journey then. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so you've got this concept. We're going to get them off iMessage. Yeah. Um, you have to convince Eric that moving off the other thing that I can't pronounce is a good idea. Yeah. And so how long does it take before you've rolled out a rough thing to your uncle and say, hey, check this out? Sure. Yeah. So um, probably the short answer is it took probably eight months of of due diligence of learning before we had an MVP that was anywhere close for anybody to test. So um, when you told, um, when you were t- talking about it a second ago, you said, hey, this is super simple. We can roll out this yeah, little message. No, it was not super so simple. So you quickly learned that it yeah. wasn't, how long did it take you to learn that it wasn't super simple a day or two? No, I think, so he went, so he started doing a bunch of lit review because he also was working on his PhD in health informatics, right? Okay, yeah. So he started doing a bunch of lit review, figuring out, and he's actually did a thesis on, on organ utilization. Uh, so we started looking at a lot of the data and we said, because he said, okay, this sounds like an easy problem, but who cares, right? And um, and which I respect a lot. You know, Eric has always been the the. Uh, I want to create things, right? You know, and and you know, and and I think we're both very business minded. But he was also kind of at that time. You know, well, who cares? Why why should we spend our time doing this? Yeah. I thought it was cool because my uncle wanted it, and I thought it was a really cool idea, and it was super, you know, the sexy organ transplant, like oh my god. Yeah. And and he said, you know, who cares? And he and he started doing a lit review, and he realized that you know the, the entire industry was talking about this problem, and actually that the fact that there was when he started doing a lot of the data uh, research on organ utilization and where organs were going and where they were coming from, fifty four percent of of don't organs authorized. Um, uh, don't end up getting transplanted, right? So we said, oh my God, that's a huge number. And we said, okay, well, out of this number, I mean, obviously there's certain things in there that we can't control. I mean, uh, but but what are the ones that we can have the biggest impact on? Like how many organs could we potentially be be saving? And so we started that, that really, that 54% became the driving force of our business is that's a huge amount of waste. How do we prevent the waste? Where where areas are preventable? And, and w- out of all the different, preventable uh, or, or wasted organs, which categories of that, that are most realistic for us to solve as two entrepreneurs that know nothing about transplant. Yeah. And so uh, we focused on the, the, the number of organs that were authorized for transplant, accepted, but then got declined. And there was a, a 
and we really kind of focused on the communication the co and the coordination and all the logistics uh, uh, between the organ procurement organization making the offer and the transplant center and the surgeon looking at the offer and saying, do I want to make this, do I want to accept this offer for this patient or do I want to skip? And that process is what we were really trying to focus on, allowing to bring in all the information on the donor, bring in the information about the, the recipient, and put it all in something that was very accessible, easy, like Slack for transplant, right? Yeah. You're, you've got your G drive, you've got your Dropbox integration, you've got all your integrations. We wanted what tools do you use the most? Where's the data coming from? How do we not necessarily be a data source? But how do we, and, how, and we're not getting the decision on who gets what organ, that's already been decided. How do we just take what's take all the information, put it in a single space so that people can communicate around that information, share that information a lot faster than in an EMR and reading it off a phone or sending an email or faxing, which and is I what they were doing. And I would imagine a lot more accurately too, right? Because yeah. stuff inevitably gets dropped as you're going through. Yeah, and we try not to copy and paste, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you think about like how much information that they're pulling out of a system and then texting it to somebody, yeah. there's a lot of transcription error. Yep. Right? We just want to link things. So you're pulling directly from the source. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, so we, we had this, in it, so the the it started off as a simple communication tool, um, I concept, and Eric was presenting it at University of Iowa at, at, to a to a group of uh, the Tippy Business is a business school there at Iowa, and they had like a board meeting, right? And they brought in a lot of alumni that sat on the board of the business school, and we were presenting a bunch of student ideas and concepts that they were generating in their incubator uh, entrepreneurial program, and we presented ours and. Um, and one of the people in the audience was Elizabeth Villafana, and her husband is Manny Villafana. And Manny Villafana is a serial entrepreneur, seven IPOs. His biggest one, or probably most uh, well-known, is St. Jude Medical, that he started as a bi-leaflet uh, bi -leaflet heart valve, one of the first bi-leaflet heart valves out of Minneapolis. Um, just to give you kind of a size of where that business has become and where it's at, it just got acquired by Abbott or merger. Or, um, uh, 2018, and it was like a 22 billion. Okay. Um, so, but at that time, it had gone through. You know, St. Jude w had been around for a long time. Um, but uh, he's had several other big Goliath businesses and companies, and uh, because he was always working in and devices, uh, pacemakers, and valves of the heart, he met a lot of heart surgeons that also did transplant. For example, one of his best friends, uh, who helped him with some of his products. Uh, they ended up going on their honeymoon together was Christian Barnard, and he's the first person to ever do a heart transplant in okay. South Africa. And so we, he, so Elizabeth says, you got to come pitch to him. So Elizabeth gets us set up. We go into uh, his office, then, then Kipps Bay Medical, and we sit down, and, and he comes in, and, and he goes, okay, gentlemen, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. I don't know much about transplant. You know, I, I know a lot of transplant people, so I brought them in. And he brought in a couple of the uh, local um, thought leaders and experts in transplant um, and said, okay, uh, to the folks that he brought in, that the experts, these gentlemen are going to present something, and I'm thinking about investing and helping them, but I don't know much about transplant. So I want you to listen, and then at the end of this presentation, I want you to tell me if it's a good idea. 
And then he goes, okay, gentlemen, go. <laughs> and this is before this. I mean, this is when we still had, this is mock-ups on PowerPoint, yeah. right? We had, it was, it was vaporware, right? And we had just started in this pro. I mean, any of the feedback we were getting was from my uncle, you know, um, every once in a while saying, oh yeah, you know, maybe this, and, you know, a couple conversations. We had a couple interviews, you know, but we were still in the really early wireframing of this, right? Back in napkin stuff. And so we're going, holy cow, we've got some of the, you know, thought leaders in donation and transplant sitting in the room. And so we went through it and they said, you know, they've got some stuff to learn for sure. And so afterwards he goes, okay, thank you, uh, gentlemen. Um, go ahead, leave the room. Um, and, uh, and in fact, actually, if I remember right, he actually said, okay. And he got the SMEs, like the subject matter experts up. They went into another room, discussed for, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. We're just sitting there. Um, and then he comes back in and says and sits down and starts talking about a story and we're just like okay are you are you in or are you out you yeah. know and he and and he goes well i talked to susan on the way out and uh she likes it and she's willing to help so i'm in and so then that was kind of the beginning of a lot of momentum and he having started so many companies himself basically said okay we sat down i remember we we he was in iowa city um because his connection to Iowa was not only his wife, but his son owns restaurants in, in Iowa, and he was back visiting his son and doing some things with the University of Iowa. And we sat down in a restaurant, and we structured the company on uh, the back of a napkin in an Italian restaurant. And um, we uh, kind of determined, you know, structure the business, you know, kind of all the incorporation information that we needed to go, go get the incorporation docs and incorporate. And... Um, you know, all, so grateful for that because he's done some things when we first set up the business that a lot of first-time founders make mistakes on that, you know, aren't necessarily, there. there's no maybe right or wrong per se. Um, you know, you can Google, you know, how to structure company and how many shares and, you know, how many, you know, how do you divvy up the, the, the different options. And it, you've got all kinds of different, like, math that at the time – especially before the company is actually valuable is unclear mm -hmm. um, to the, but, but he, you know, we would, do, he just set it up in a way that allowed us to avoid so many mistakes, you know, and one of his suggestions when we first started is the first round of financing, you guys are going to need to raise money. And the first round of financing, you know, you do it in common stock because it makes it a lot easier. Everybody's dollars the same. Everybody's stock class is the same. And until you get to the point where you're dealing with sophisticated enough investors, that can actually help you move the business forward, um, then you can switch to preferred. But during this first period of time, keep it common to keep it simple. Keep your board clean. Keep yeah. your keep your cap table clean. And so we had like a just a just a perfect setup that really allowed us to learn, make a lot of mistakes, but but kind of have um, business one hundred and one fundamentals set up by somebody that's been. Uh, a great entrepreneur and, and we being able to use his name right too for any first-time entrepreneurs out there I think having a deal lead you know the first thing he said is I'm not putting any money until you do how much money have you put in yeah and at the time Eric and I were two poor college kids and we said nothing yeah and he said okay well I mean if you I, you know first of all this is gonna be full-time I'm not gonna invest in something that you're not working full-time second I'm not going to invest until you put money in and that you've gotten to get some money from your family. Because if you can't convince your mom or your dad or your grandma to give you money, then you're not going to be able to convince, you know, investors. Right? Yeah. So 
we ended up going. We I I did some. I talked to my parents and and you know I had like a life insurance policy thing that had some money in it that my grandma had gifted me a while back ago, and I had some other things like they had they had some stuff in in a savings account for me, but pretty. Not a lot of money, yeah. and I pulled anything and everything I had out of my checking account, and walked back to Eric and said, "Okay, I have roughly like seven thousand bucks, you know, like that I have right now, you know, that I can that I can put into this thing." And so he matched me, okay. and that gave us our four, first fourteen. Then we went back out to family and friends, raised you know another fifty, sixty thousand, um, and that was all in kind of basically a it was a very simple um, kind of some people call it a safe now is is a convertible note that had no cap no no conversion no interest i mean it was just like plain vanilla like just um, it had maybe had a little bit of interest but it had no conversion into the next no discount um it's, it was just very like mom and dad and people were the only ones that invested in, in, in something like that, an instrument like that. So we got some money together and then we met John Slump and John Slump's our kind of the third employee, first and first employee besides Eric and myself. Um, he came in on board because he had been referred to because we thought we had an opportunity to go get some SBIR dollars through the okay. NIH. Um, with Eric's research background, well, you know, knew how to play that game, knew how to write grants. Um, so we reached out to John, and John had been eight for ten in these SBIRs, which are pretty competitive to get. And so we started working with him. He he wrote up an SBIR grant. We got that submitted. That was two hundred fifty thousand. Um, we didn't know that we were going to get that until later. So basically, we got like you know, founders put in fourteen thousand. I still remember that we were sitting in our office, which was free, gifted to us through this accelerator program, the University of Iowa. It was a, it's called a bell, uh, and um, it was an old frat house that they kind of reconverted into office space. So it had a, it had a little apartment style. The offices had a bunk, bunk um, yeah. loft area, right? And so that's where I lived for eight months. Um, I was homeless. I didn't, I couldn't afford. I, we had just graduated, got you know, um, kind of at this time, um, and I, I had, I, the, the. I couldn't re afford to renew my lease. Yeah. And so I just stayed. They had a shower. I mean, this is an old dorm, I was, right? I was about to double they had check showers the shower. and stuff. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I just stayed. They had a bat problem, which was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but outside of that, I mean, they, we, um, I lived, I lived in that and, and Eric would, he had a place cause he's more responsible and I, you know, whatever plan better. Maybe, I don't know. And he, we can't, we come down and we were, anyway, we're sitting in the office and, and, um, you know, I said, Hey man, um, you know, here's what I got. Can you match it? And he said, yeah, I can match that. And are, you, are we going to do this thing or not? And it's like, yeah, I think, I think we're going to do it. You know, let's do it. So, uh, it was kind of like that, like, here we go, you know, and we put money in and then it, we got re- it got really real for me when I took money from my family oh, yeah, absolutely. and took money from Eric's family. And, um, I, and I think that's what Manny was waiting for was kind of coming up, coming back to him going, we're in. I mean, we put money in. We took our family's money. We looked them right in the eyes and said, you know, like, Let's do we it. hopefully will make this back to you, you yeah. know, but it's incredibly risky. So we went back to him, and we had one mother investor that said I'd put money in if Manny put money in. And we kind of, we kind of, you know, played the, okay, well, Manny, this person will put it in if you put it in. And then, we did, well, he said that Manny will put it in if you, and we kind of played the, the two off each other. And um, we... We got them to invest. I, I, that was probably and, and John, keep in mind John, who helped us get the NIH grant submitted, 
which ended up being successful. Um, also helped us get some state money. We had raised another 50000 with student business knowledge competitions. The state of Iowa had a $25,000 grant for proof of commercial relevance um, uh, fund that we got. And then they had the next stage of that was $100,000 demo, a low interest loan demo fund. And we got that. And then Walmart Blue Cross Blue Shield had an innovators program. They gave us $100,000. So we were able to wrap up a lot of um, non-dilutive capital to get started. And we, when we first kind of went to, you know, uh, that was over the course of kind of the first year of the business where we got a lot of non-dilutive capital from all these different opportunities in the state of Iowa um, and the universities. Um, And then we uh, went to Manny, got that one other investor. That one other investor is a great friend of, he's a great friend of the businesses now and has kind of reinvested in almost all the rounds afterwards. And uh, he was just a wealthy individual in Iowa, really passionate about the problem that we were solving. And um, I still remember that was probably, John, who helped us with the grant, had raised $40 million for previous companies before, so he knew the financing game pretty well. He had actually brought in some of his network um, you know, of previous investors. We ended up going to Okaboji again. There's a lot of birthplace, a lot of things. A lot of our first board meetings were in Okaboji. Right, yeah. uh, a lot of things happened in Okaboji. Eric went through this entrepreneurial institute, um, Okaboji Entrepreneurial Institute. And it's when they basically, a lot of, I guess a lot of self-made successful people in Iowa move and buy a big fancy house in Okaboji. That's kind of how what happens. And so then in Okaboji, there's all these entrepreneurs. And so this program matches entrepreneur students at different schools and universities across the state. So all the big state and universities participate in this program. And then you spend a week with this entrepreneur at their, ho- at their home. You live with them, you eat breakfast with them, lunch with them. You live their life for a week. And they teach you at all kinds of stuff. And Eric did that with a couple. He was in that program, and he did it with a couple of individuals that end up being investors. Um, and so we ended up going to Oboji, and this was we just had put money in. We maybe had gotten a little bit. We we submitted at this time. We submitted a lot of applications for those those grant programs, but hadn't got any of them yet. We show up into Okaboji. Um, we actually rode jet skis over. Um, I threw my computer in a Ziploc, waterproof Ziploc bag and threw it in the front. We, we jet skied across the lake to this bar where this guy wanted to meet us. It was a tiki bar. Okay. Uh, we hop off the jet skis covered in water um, and dried off. We had, uh, you know, kind of a, we threw on a de- somewhat like a decent looking polo or collared shirt on with swim trunks and walked into this tiki bar, sat down. Mike and Roxy, who are these individuals that were that I'm ta- speaking about, were our first investors, come in. They're all dressed to the to the nine in this in this tiki bar place, uh, and they're they're familiar with Okaboji. They they're kind of like locals, right? And so they we sit down at the tiki bar and and uh, we tell our story, and we're going back and forth. And you know, this is my first investor meeting. Yeah. And John's kind of helping push it along, right? Where I'm, I, I got my laptop up. I'm showing him the slide deck. It's really loud. 
there's a bunch of pe like people come, the waiters coming over. We're all drinking out of you know like cocktail glasses with umbrellas in it. You yeah. know, there's a band playing. I'm screaming so he can hear me, and. John's like kind of like you know kicking my foot under the table like okay get 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 to the good stuff and he's like trying he knows how to you know investors they want to hear things quick and yeah. I was going into the whole story so that was one of my first lessons I won is if you got something important to say to an investor you got to be you got to you, you you got to short and sweet and um, still working on on that uh, but yeah and but uh, anyway Mike says well yeah you know you know Roxy what do you think and Roxy's like well you know Mike you know, I think you've already decided you've been talking about this idea always since we came in the car you know all this kind of stuff I'm fine with what we talked about yeah Mike said okay we're gonna do 50,000 and I about <laughs> lost it you know like I had to have gone pale you know and to me that was a ton of money yeah right it is a ton of money yeah. you know for and John goes, well, Mike, Manny, he said he'd do a hundred, and Mike said, and then he, and then John goes, and Mike, remember when you invested in my other business, Corvita, you know, clear back in the day, and and when you put initial money in, you always wish you had put in more right away, you know, all this kind of stuff. Why don't you put in a hundred? And I'm going, John, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, he got fifty. Yeah, leave him alone. <laughs> right. And and Mike and you know kind of go back and forth and he goes oh I don't know rocks what do you think Roxy and they start going back and forth and 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 she goes fifty a hundred you know these things I really like what these guys are doing and so then Mike goes all right well hundred it is and we all shook hands he wrote a check in the tiki bar yeah we I put it in a ziploc bag that had my computer in it went back out got on the jet skis, you know, and, and jet skied back to the house. And, and it was pro it's still probably one of my favorite moments since we started the business. It was the most unreal, surreal, uh, thing. But, um, anyway, that, that really kickstarted. We went back to Manny and, you know, and said, okay, Hey, he did it. Now you match. And, and uh, that was our first money into the business. We used that momentum, Manny's name, and you know the two hundred and fifty thousand we had so far to really start to, I mean, go go after a million dollars. And what was that? Um, so what did you spend the two fifty on then? Yeah, right away we took our kind of mock up and and uh, hired an external development shop in town and made it real. Okay. Yeah, and. Uh, Part of the thing with Manny and his investment was that he only invested if Susan and some of these folks in Minnesota agreed to help us get started. And so we actually went back up to Minnesota. We spent an entire week there where they had every single, I mean, it was, it was a boot camp transplant every single day, Sunday through Sunday. We had a schedule started early in the morning. We had certain nights we were actually on call and we got, they took us through every department we talked to each department director and head from what kind of their perspective, what transplant is. We got a full understanding of kind of the back to front process, uh, kind of an educational style. And then the afternoons, we'd spend time on case. And so we'd go back home or we'd leave our phones on. We kind of understood and got to feel what it was like to be on call, incredibly stressful. Got a call in the middle of the night that was a transplant, hopped in our cars, drove to the hospital, uh, scrubbed up, went into the OR, watched them actually procure. Um, and went through the whole experience of donation, which a lot of people, that, that's really kind of at that time what hooked me to was uh, a, a particular experience was, um, you know, we're, we're going into the OR, all, everything's flying, everybody's buzzing around, um, 
you've got surgeons from New York, from Michigan, Minnesota, everybody's coming in from all over the place to come get these organs from different places. You come into the same OR, the OR's packed, way probably busier than people are used to. And because of that, it's extra stressful. There's people yelling, screaming, don't touch that, touch, you know. And now you've got two extra people in the room, Yeah. right? And so I just remember one of the surgeons from Mayo, um, Rochester, starts going around the room, says, who, who are you? And they said, well, I'm, you know, here with Donor Network. I just kind of help support. Get out. We don't need you. Who are you? And, and they're going around the room. And they got to me. And I was like, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're an intern working on a business to improve the, you know, like the communications are here with LifeSource. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, you can stay. That's a big, you know, like that, that's, that's interesting. Stay here. Watch, watch how bad this is because I want you to figure out how to solve this problem. So anyway, we watched the, sur- the surgery. And, and right, before, right before they get ready to procure the donor, um, all these surgeons, super busy, flying around, bright lights everywhere. They, cl- they, 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 everybody stops. They turn the lights down, and they have a memoir that their that the donor's family put together, and they honor the donor. So everybody bows their heads. Um, somebody talks about who they were, what they like to do, why they are so proud that they're giving the gift of life, and um, you know, um, you know that's their their decision, and we're fulfilling it, and it, and we we must honor this person um, to make sure that their mission gets fulfilled, and that these organs get procured, and and to the person that they're supposed to go to, and it's very emotional, um, and it's very quiet, and there's a moment of silence, and everybody's just, and then and then about after you know probably a minute or so, lights turn on, and it's go time. And from that moment on, it's everything is just so fast. And uh, they talk about the gift of life, and and you know everything was pretty up until that point. Um, you know, I I kind of got it. I, I I got the concept of gift of life, but I didn't really get it internally. You know, um, until well, I saw the surgeon that was procuring the liver. He he pulled the liver out, and. I'll never forget this. We were standing kind of at the end of the bed, and he pulled the liver out, literally kind of cradled it like a newborn child would, you know. And and he he carries the liver kind of across the room and lays it on the back table into the solution for it to get um, you know kind of packaged. And when he pulled that, and he was looking down at it. I like instantly got chills, you know, yeah. like I was like, I told, I get it. Like that was, I just watched life get transferred, you know, from one person to another person. That is insane. And after that I caught the bug. And you know, I think a lot of people that are in the transplant space talk about it too. It's like when, when you experience that, there is not a cooler thing in healthcare. Yeah. And so that's really got hooked me. So at this point in time, you've, mm-hmm. um, you're still in Iowa. Yep. Um, you've met your girlfriend, fiance. Yep. Um, you've caught the bug. Yep. You've raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, and at some point down the line, you end up with a place in Lexington, um, which yeah. is where your team is now. Mm-hmm. And then you move here because your fiance drags you to a great city. Yes. Um. So, um, we're I don't know fifteen minutes or so. Yep. Um, left. Let's talk a little bit about um the structure of the business sure. now, where the company is. You've done. Two and a half. You've done two rays. Yeah, you're in yeah. the process of another one. Yeah. So, talk about. Let's talk about Lexington yep. and Charlotte mm-hmm. just for a, a couple minutes. What's What's the business structure now? Yeah. So we we moved the comp- We grew the company in Iowa. We raised about one million dollars in our first seed round. 
was that that was primarily in Iowa. Was that inclusive of Manny, or was that yes? Okay, yeah, so that, that kind of first was, round. Okay. Um, we we had some of it in an early note structure, but it very quickly went to a common stock seed round okay. that Manny and these other individuals invested in. We raised a million dollars there. So you got a million dollars there. Yep. You've got what my quick math somewhere between four and five hundred of non dilutive financing yep. over the time period as yep. well. Yep. So you've got a million and a half. Yep. Okay. And then we uh, ended up raising so. About after we closed the seed round, that was really kind of where things started to transition away from Iowa. Because and that's building out the platform, right? Yep, You're that we had the platform. Money. We actually, with that NIH grant, we actually got a three center study. Okay. We implemented the technology at three centers, uh, showed that we increased the transplantation uh, rates there by reducing, we reduced phone calls by 50%, increased productivity through different measurements by, by over 50%, and that res- resulted in a 26% increase in organ throughput, Okay, which meant that, you know, the increase, essentially we increased the organs that were available for transplant by 26% in the state so of Iowa. So you reduced the 54? Yeah. The yeah, magic 54 yeah, yeah, number yeah, we reduced earlier. some waste. And that was really exciting. And so in those three centers all then resubscribed. So they all then bought the software after the study was over. And those were some of our first customers. Mm-hmm. And then we quickly expanded to about eight customers in the Midwest. And, and you know, and, and... So you've got paying customers at this point. Yep, paying that, customers. Yep, first okay. kind of early pilot. It's all pilot <laughs> revenue, right? They're paying... They're paying uh, you know, a low entry level price, pilot rep, pilot price. And we uh, then started to pivot to a convertible note round as a bridge round to our A. And this bridge round started off as a note. In fact, that was about the same time that um, the co- my co-founder, Eric, moved to Lexington, Kentucky. I moved to Charlotte okay. because of Olivia. And so at this time, our business was still just basically, it's still operating in Iowa, we had just moved to Lexington and, and Charlotte. Our local team was kind of up and running and, and, and sustainable to some degree in Iowa, and we'd come back a lot. And then we, Eric met a lot of people in Lexington and had a lot of interest in investment. In fact, their local fund wanted, there was a lot of state money, really good timing. They just, we ended up getting an interest from their Bluegrass Angels. Mm-hmm. And they said they wouldn't do a note because they needed a Kentucky match credit thing or whatever. And so they could do common to still get the Iowa tax credit. But then we, part of the conditions of the investment is that if we wanted their investment, we also would move the business to Kentucky. And we said no at first because they were only going to give us 250 And then... Uh, we discovered, and they were able to then say, okay, we'll, we'll give you five hundred. We'll, we'll we'll basically round out capital locally. We'll get you to the five hundred thousand dollar mark, and the state of Kentucky is one of the only states that matches up to a million dollars in NIH grant dollars. So for one point five million, move your company to Lexington, and we said, okay, we'll move our we'll move our engineering office yeah. and all of our engineers to Lexington. Yeah. So our product team and engineering team moved to Lexington at that time. Um, and uh, for essentially $500,000 kind of guaranteed with a million dollar of potential grant dollar match matching dollars. And we um, basically took that second bridge round and raised it in common again because they didn't. So we actually kind of switched the, the, the financing from a debt instrument to the common stock instrument that um, with an updated term sheet from the first common stock round, so this was kind of a bridge round that we did, and that was one. That was a goal was about two million. We ended up hitting about one point five million in that, 
and that was from Kentucky, more investors from Iowa, that was from all over the place. Yeah. And then most recently, we have closed that round at 1.5, and we are now raising a, um, a, a note. We, we want to raise a $600,000. So we had 1.4-ish of that first one, so... Um, and where our goal is two million, and so we decided that we wanted to raise a six hundred thousand uh, dollar convertible note bridge, and part of that was stemmed from a, a what really prominent uh, angel group out of Arizona called the Desert Angels. Okay, and uh, they they uh, they came on board, uh, put in some of the first dollars, and that's what we're doing right now. We're about two hundred fifty into a six hundred thousand dollar convertible note instrument. Um, that will then uh, convert into preferred equity of our Series A, our, for, our formal first really Series Series A, if you will. So on this interview date, on January 17, 2020, you're raising a $600,000 convertible note. Correct. Uh, yep. By the time we post in a month, you might no longer be raising. Yeah, well, we, you can hope so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's going. It's really it's really nice. You know, um, I think it's got some nice terms to it. You know, so I think uh, it's been attractive to investors so far. So your co-founder, Eric, moves yeah. to Lexington. Yep. He's got the team there. You've got the money there. Yep. You moved to Charlotte. Correct. Um, never been to Charlotte before. No. Nope. Um, never seen the rocking chairs in the airport. Yeah, no, really I nice. love them. Yeah. I love that. I spent a lot of time there. Um, but um, how easy has it been for you to plug into the local healthcare scene here in Charlotte? How supportive mm-hmm. um, and everything has it been for you from that perspective? So Charlotte is – you also – I had a lot to learn in Charlotte. Okay. Um, I had never done business in the South. Okay. Right. I had done business in Chicago, in Iowa, where we raised our money. Most of our money in Iowa came from wealthy inve- investors, but wealthy individuals. But all the other money that came when we first started the business in Iowa was out of Chicago. Yeah. So we go to Chicago a lot. And it's different than doing business in the South, right? And I came... In high flying, you know, this new guy from out of town, you know, bada bing, bada boom, fly in, fly out, you know, let's get a meeting, let's line up, you know, 10 coffees at the same place simultaneously, boom, 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 knock them out, you know, and let's throw a shareholder meeting together, let's just press them hard for, you know, for investment, and, you know, let's let's just call 100 people, let's maybe get 25 of them, and let's press them. Does not work. And that's a really quick way to piss a lot of people off here. Yeah, that that, that would seem to be the case. So so, um, I learned, uh, and, you know, I I was Rotarian in Iowa. I I came to some of the Rotary Clubs here in Charlotte, started getting connected to the the Roots. I joined the Charlotte City Club and met a lot of the Roots, and and they have a great book that they present you on the history of Charlotte uh, when you get into the club. And started to invest and, you know, met uh, some anthropologists from the UNCC to talk about the history of Charlotte and the South and what's happened and kind of the different industry booms and and kind of the bit and how that set up the business culture and dynamics and the, the banking infrastructure all this kind of stuff right learned it all it's still learning it um, but really started to realize that it's slower and here and that's okay um, you just have to make sure that you are you, you got to know them and you got to know people and you got to know it's about who you know right and I started realizing how important that network is, and it's hard to invest in in that um, when you're constantly flying around as an entrepreneur um, from different meetings and conferences. I just came back from Miami, you know, and then it's you know on to the way, and it's nonstop, right? And then you have to go and visit the you know the kind of the the manufacturing facility, if you will, um, our product, you know, where all of our products being made in Lexington. Go there, check check on people, continue to build the culture there. 
um, and while we're simultaneously building the future with, you know, and going to different places. And I'm selling a lot too. We just finally hired some sales reps. So that's going to be helpful to get me off the road more. But, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to invest in the time that it takes to build those those networks. So I just contacted some people that were local and really developed a lot of relationships with them and slowly building my network and kind of respect um, um, for through with the community through some of those local folks. And, you know, I, I'd say that in terms of Charlotte being, it's hard to find health IT here. Uh, Eric Kirsch, I'd have to give a shout out to him. He's done an amazing job of getting the different health IT ideas, health companies together, whether it be through kind of SOPI and some of the events that they hold there with the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs and kind of how they're tying into that with some of the local businesses. I know he's working on and um, anybody that is listening to this, you know, reach out to Eric and see what he's got going on there with him and Scott Pope and some of the stuff that they're working on to create a, a single location where all these businesses can come and thrive and work with the local institutions. I'd also say I went to a Rotary meeting um, where Gene Woods presented on some of the things that Atrium's doing. Um, uh, and I have to give a shout out to him for thinking very innovatively around, you know, how they're accessing uh, not only our generation, very tech-focused generation, but also using technology to find low-serviced areas, um, be more efficient with technology. Um, and then obviously I see the physician's perspective and point of view with working with Olivia and um, knowing uh, you know, how they're continually making advancements from the provider's perspective on how to provide for patients. So I think they're doing an excellent job and I think um, I'm excited. I think we're just getting started. You know, It seems like there's a lot of momentum here. Um, in health IT, I think Atrium's really stepped it up a notch. Um, they've got a great group there. They've actually got this, I, I, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of it, but kind of a data analyst group that was kind of part of Ortho Carolina that spun out, and they're their okay. like Aero Analytics or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Great analytics firm doing super cool stuff. Um, you know, and so it's there. It just needs to be organized, and I think Eric's trying to do that, and I think that's going to be really cool when it gets done, you know, and, and I think... You know, I went to one of the, uh, they have a hackathon. I live right on Church Street in okay. the Ave, and they have a, the hackathon at the Discovery Place. Uh, and so I went to that hackathon, and, and Navant was all over that, you know, sponsorship. And so I think the support there, the, the, the infrastructure is there. And then if you think about the talent, the raw talent, so we've got tons of engineers who know how to write code and build code for banks, right? IT infrastructure that needs to be highly secure, and it's all about trying to get things from disparate silos different banking institutions and transfer, in this case, money and information back and forth. It's the same thing with healthcare, right? Same problem. And so you've got a lot of people that understand those problems with the fintech industry. Yeah. And I think a lot of that can also be applied to healthcare. So I think it's got all the things in the making. And I'd, I'd say that I'm, I'm really excited for those projects and what's going on and, and to be part of it. And I'm going to be here for the next five years, for sure, because the residency program with my significant other, or now I can say fiance recently. And, um, you know, I think um, I, I'm, I'm excited in investing in that future and i um, excited to see where it can go because I think it has a ton of potential. That's cool. So, um, no, I know, we're ex um, you know we've, we've talked a few times on the phone and certainly um, just listening to you talk about your story and about OmniLife and mm -hmm. how it kind of grew and how you l learn. I mean, the cool thing about talking to entrepreneurs and certainly you today is how much you you just invest into being smarter mm -hmm. and learning about 
things, right? So learning about the business side of it, learning about Charlotte, the different things that you have to do to be successful, you mm-hmm. can't stop learning. So it's really cool. Um, so I, for one, am excited to have you here for the next five years and hopefully longer. Yeah. Um, I think the story of Omni Life and how it came about and what y'all are doing and how y'all are doing is a fantastic story. Um, I wish you a ton of luck. And I don't Thank think, you. to your point from earlier, I don't think you necessarily need it. Um, I think it's going to happen regardless of what I say or um, what's out there in the future. It's just a matter of you um, allowing it to be there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, help me reduce the friction, right? You yeah. Know, that things are going to be successful, and I'd, I'd, and I'd really like to have Charlotte be part of that success story. Yeah, no, so um, I know you're busy. We're coming up on the end of our time. I just want to say thanks again for carving out an hour, hour and 15 sure. minutes to sit down and shoot the breeze and, yeah. and tell us about everything you're doing and how big it's going to be as it, as it continues to, to build and do just fantastic things for people. Yeah, so, absolutely. Thanks so much, Dalton. I Thank you. It. I yeah. appreciate it. This is the owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.